0: You've got the drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen.
1: But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday?
0: Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can... We're talking to everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen.
1: I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and work-at-home mom who would love to devote more time to creative writing and journaling.
0: And I'm Abigail Krebs, the writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm living my creative life nights and weekends after I get home from my full-time job at an ad agency.
1: And you're listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Kenzie Swanson is the author of the blog Hello Neverland, where she writes about journaling, intentional living, and creativity. She's also a photographer, Etsy shop owner, and journal keeper. Kenzie recently became a stay-at-home mom, so now she spends most of her days hanging out with an 18-month-old and working her other creative projects in Around the Margins. So welcome, Kenzie, to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Hello! Hello! Thanks for joining Abby and I here today to talk about your creative life and your recent transitions into stay-at-home momming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for
0: having me. Yeah, I guess is it stay-at-home momming or is it work-at-home momming? Are you still doing like consulting and things on the side? Well, technically I would
2: call it stay-at-home momming. I, um, I'm kind of doing my own thing, but I don't work directly with clients other than with photography. So it's kind of different. I wouldn't call myself a work-at-home mom, but I do work for myself, so maybe.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at in life right now and how you got here?
2: Um. Well, I you read it in the intro, I'm a photographer, I run my blog, I have an Etsy shop with my husband. So we're kind of juggling a lot of different things. And we have our 18-month-old daughter. Um, so I stay home, at home with her um, and my husband works. And it's a, it's a good little arrangement. I'm totally cool with it.
1: <laughs> when did you first decide to start the blog Hello Neverland?
2: Um, that was a few years ago. It was right after we got married. And honestly, I started it. This is like totally not an, a PC thing to say. But I started it because I saw p- other people who were blogging and making money off of it. And I was like, hey, I wanna do that too. That sounds like a good plan. I kind of always had it in my head that maybe eventually it would be combined with something else and I wouldn't have to have a full-time job. Um, So I saw that and I was like, I wanna do that. So I tried it um, and it's evolved since then into something very different. Um, I started writing about things that were popular because popular topics get you traffic um but now i'm writing about things that i really enjoy and that connect with me a lot more and so i've gotten over time to the point where it's a space that i write about things that i just enjoy and i like and if people like it great and if they don't then that's not for them and that's okay too
0: yeah i think it's totally acceptable to to get into blogging thinking that you could at some point make this your full-time job i know that was definitely one of my motivations when i started my blog Um, and I think too, you said your own blog has evolved since you started it. I think blogging has evolved since Mm. it started in general. I know I was at a, a blogger conference a couple of months ago, um, for my day job and there are a lot of bloggers out there making a lot, a lot of money and it seems like they're just doing really different things than they were six, seven, eight years ago.
2: Absolutely. Well, and the internet in general has evolved. This whole thing is something totally different than it used to be. And it will be in 10 more years, totally different. So it's kind of cool to watch it change over time like that.
1: Yeah, that is so true. So as someone who started their blog with kind of an eye towards monetization, um, what avenues did you first pursue to try to monetize the blog? Like, is that where you first decided to start the Etsy shop or... Um, Do you take on sponsorships and sponsored posts? How did you get that started?
2: Um, Well, when I started, sponsoring other blogs was a really big thing. You know, small blogs would put an ad in the sidebar of a bigger blog and try to get traffic that way, or you'd get guest posts out of it. And so you would pay that other blogger directly. So that's where I started with earning money from the blog. Um, And it went well, but it is a lot of work. And you're kind of then responsible for someone else's brand and it's not your brand. And it's, it's a weird thing to do when you're not a big corporate company. Um, and it kind of, it has kind of gone out of vogue now. So it's not, it's not a scalable enterprise. Um, you can only do so much yourself. Um, so that was what the first thing I did. Um, and after that, I mean, there are the typical ways of, you know, like Google AdSense or, um, other affiliate programs or um, sponsored content working with brands. And I do some of that now too, but it's you have to be really careful with what you choose uh, and how you write about it. So it's a that too has evolved. Everything's evolved <laughs> over time. so it's it's different and it's still changing. And so um, I'm just actually now trying to figure out, you know with the end of the year and twenty sixteen and New Year's and all that how do I move forward? What else am I going to do? What am I going to let go of? So it's an ongoing process.
1: Yeah, It's definitely good to evaluate all that stuff. Um, So would you say that having the blog then has been a good way to keep up creativity in your life throughout the changing seasons? Because you went from uh, being married and having the blog and having a full-time job to balancing a full-time job with a baby to now being a stay-at-home mom. So the blog's kind of been your constant throughout all of that.
2: Yeah, um, yes and no, I guess. (laughs) Um, Having a blog that you update regularly is a really good way to push yourself to do that. But it also takes a lot of time and commitment. So if your sort of brand of creativity isn't writing or isn't photography or something that translates very naturally into that online space, it's going to take time away from whatever that is. So if you're a watercolorist, blogging is going to take time that you could be painting and so it's a, it's a balancing act, I think. And it's, um, it's helpful if you're blogging about that thing that you want to do. So I blog a lot about journaling because that's what I like to do. Um, other people blog about their photos or whatever. So if, you're, if they're aligned, I think it's easier. But if they're totally different and you're writing about, I don't know, cooking, which you enjoy and have fun with, but you are, you are a painter, you're going to have a tougher time with it.
0: Okay. So would you say then, too, that aligning kind of your content with what you're passionate about rather than aligning your content with what is popular, what's going to get you traffic, has just allowed you to kind of focus in a little bit more and be more concentrated with your creativity?
2: Yeah, I would say so. When you pick a niche topic, uh, you're naturally going to be challenged to find different ways to write about that thing. And so if you publish three times a week, 50 times, 50 weeks a year, you know, that's, I suck at math, 150 posts (laughs) um, about. You're in good company.
0: I'll
2: have to check that later. Um, But let's go with 150. Um, It's a lot of posts about that one thing. And so if you're picking this small niche topic, something that you're passionate about, you are going to naturally have to dive deeper into that and learn more about it and learn more details and learn different ways of looking at it and learn how other people see it and what their challenges with it are. And so you're going to naturally come around that topic full circle and see every side of it. So you will get very concentrated just because you're, fo- you're so focused on it. Um, whereas if you're writing about 10 different things, then you get very surface level about all those 10 things. And you may enjoy it, you may not depending on how excited about those things are. You can only spread yourself so thin.
1: That is such a good reminder, because I think it's really tempting to want to write about all the things, because you see everybody else blogging about all this other stuff, and suddenly you think you can do all of it. So one of the things you blog about that I'm really interested in is journal keeping. And I'm a terrible journaler, but you are not. You're really good at it. um so I would love to hear more about just your journaling process if you keep different journals for different things um how you first started the journaling habit sure
2: um my mom kept a journal when I was a kid so I think that's where it comes from I don't know honestly I've always had a journal um so I just it's really funny to go back and read some from like elementary school and I'm like so and so ate fries at lunch today and I wish I had fries or it's just stupid stuff and so I've it's been a lifelong habit, but I would always quit about halfway through a journal. I would not feel it anymore. I wouldn't like the book I was writing in. I just wouldn't want to do it anymore, whatever. And so I'd quit. And then when I, the bug hit me again, I'd just go buy something new and move on and quit halfway through that one. And it was kind of a cycle. Um, It wasn't really until after college. And so I was working that I think it really became a regular thing and I would finally finish a book and it was just more of a continuous flow for me um in general I keep one journal because that's easier to keep track of and I just shove everything in it and I think for a lot of people the challenge with something like that is they're either trying to break it down too far and so they have their I don't know quote journal and their idea journal and their dreams journal or whatever they have all these separate projects and it just becomes overwhelming it's too much to juggle um so I keep it all in one place. Um, for me, I journal whenever I feel like it. That sounds really flaky. But in terms of writing especially, but in any kind of creative endeavor, you're going to have these ebbs and flows, and it goes in a cycle for everybody. And somebody's cycle might be a week long, and so they're writing every week. Yours could be months, and so you write once every six months. Whatever it is, it's okay. But you have to learn what that is and how to work with it. Um mine is just kind of erratic. I just do it whenever. But for <laughs> luck, luckily, it's pretty often. So I write almost every day. But that's not necessarily true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. It's just, it is what it is. And like I said, you have to learn what works for you and kind of embrace that and roll with it.
0: Those are really wise words, I think, for most every creative endeavor that we go in. Um, I know ebbs and flows could be just the way to describe life in general, I think. Um, In high school, I kept a journal. In elementary school, like you said, um, talking about the kid who ate fries every day, like there's definitely (laughs) a few moments where I look back at that elementary journal and I was like, why on earth did I think this was important? Um, and I think I found, too, that I journaled and wrote in a diary and all those kinds of things when I had a ton of feelings that I needed to process or when I just needed someone to talk to that would get me kind of thing going through those you know, emotional teenage years. And I found, I think after I got married, like I had someone to come home and talk to every evening and I didn't necessarily need to write all of that out anymore. And that's kind of when I stopped journaling on a regular basis. And every now and again, like you said, every six months or so, I'm like, oh yeah, I really need to just write this out. And that is really helpful. But uh, it's good to remember that the ebbs and flows don't necessarily make you a bad or good journaler, just that journaling is kind of, always there for you when you need it
2: yeah and I think too it depends a lot like you kind of mentioned when you stopped after you got married that season of life that you're in is going to have a lot of a big role in that and to whatever projects you're working on um when I was planning a wedding my journal was just lists and lists and lists and ideas and all kinds of crap really that looking back on it now doesn't mean much but that's what I needed at the time it was kind of just a planning book. Um, When I was pregnant, it was all of that mess. And, you know, I write about things that I can't talk to my husband about. Not that I couldn't, but that he's just not that interested in. Um, Or things that I would like to tell a girlfriend who's not around or whatever. It's, Yeah, it's kind of those extra bits of life that you don't necessarily get throughout your day. Did that make any sense?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. Like, I tend to write my cycle uh, is very very long so I'll write like once every three or four months maybe I'll like throw an entry in there and for a while I was trying to keep a journal for my daughter Hadley um, where I was going to write to her like once a week or something like that for at least like the first year of her life and it was going to be this great thing and what I found after forcing myself to do like five entries was that I just was not in a good headspace as a new mom to be doing that kind of thing. Like I was trying to fake all of these like, yeah, this is great having a baby. This is awesome. And <laughs> really like the first five weeks of having a baby are not <laughs> not that great. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I had like all this guilt that I wasn't like finishing this journal I started for her. And now it's like, you know, that's probably not even something that she'd really want. Like, why am I putting all this pressure on something that doesn't matter? I imagine you
0: were imagining some like future moment where you would hand this over and she'd be like, thank you, mom. This means so much.
1: (laughs) Yes, And then I think about it and it's like, I would never have been like overjoyed to get something yeah. like that from my mom. So why would I, why am I putting myself through yeah, this? Looking <laughs>
0: back, you'd be like 13, 14 year old Ashley doing the, the crazy symbol next to her ear as her mom walks away. I
1: mean,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh,
2: you know, it, what's funny is you say that and I've done the exact same thing. <laughs> I have this one journal that has like four entries in it. And I'm like, yeah, that's I'm over that. <laughs>
0: I will take your guys' word for it. I do not have kids yet, but someday when I do, I'll see if the urge to keep a journal for my child hits me, and I'll let you know how long I, I keep up the struggle. How's that?
1: Yeah, yeah, pick a different project. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think there's a lot of pressure to create like either a photo album or a journal or something to leave your kids as like some sort of legacy, mm. and I don't know it's weird because if you think about it, like our legacy is gonna be something really stupid, like our Twitter feeds, <laughs> or our Instagrams, or which is less stupid than Twitter probably, but like we don't need to go to all these extra lengths to like make the perfect photo album or keep a perfect journal with every special moment.
0: So I guess aside from journaling then, you also, you said, run an Etsy shop. With your husband, I imagine he does a lot of the the power tool stuff behind the scene. Is that true?
1: Yes, he does, and he <laughs> loves it. <laughs> Good. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the kind of stuff that's in your Etsy shop for those who don't know, and um, like how you guys got started in that.
2: Um, the Etsy shop is another one of those things that has evolved a lot. <laughs> when I first started it, it was jewelry. Um, and so I made jewelry, and it was it was fine. It was stuff that I would wear, but I don't know if anybody else would wear it or not. That just became, after a while, not that fun. It wasn't something – it was another one of those things where I thought, okay, this is a product that will sell, not necessarily this is a product that I really enjoy making. Um, so over time, we kind of added more stuff, and, and when I was pregnant with my daughter, Amelia, there were things that we were looking at online that I was like, I really want to order this. And Caleb was like, well – I can make that for a third of that cost and you can do it however you want, like whatever design. So he did. Um, And after that, I was like, well, why don't we just throw this in the Etsy shop and see how it goes? And now those products, they're they're woodcut letters, they're initials and then they're painted. Um, Those are the best sellers. So that worked out really nicely. (laughs) And every once in a while, I'll just have this urge to make – something and I'll make five or six of them and throw them in the shop so I'm not necessarily a very organized or like thought out business owner in that sense I do whatever I feel like doing but it works out well because then those things sell or they don't sell and I'm either I make more and we're invested in that or we let it go and we try something new um so it's a lot of just kind of experimenting and I think that when, you, when it comes to art or business or anything, that's just kind of how it goes. You have to experiment and you have to see what works and kind of think on your feet and let it, let it change and let it evolve. And if you cling too tight to that original vision, it's probably not going to work out.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, allowing yourself to be flexible as you go through the seasons of your life and being able to kind of tailor whatever it is that you're doing creatively to whatever it is that you want to do in that moment. I think that's really important and kind of um, just, I mean, honoring your own little creative journey and being able to, to do what is your passion at that moment. Um, I guess I'm interested in hearing where did you come up with the Etsy shop name or the blog name uh, Made in Neverland and Hello Neverland?
2: Well, I just kind of have this romantic idea of the story of Peter Pan and I've since read the actual children's book and it's totally not really the same at all. Peter Pan was kind of a cocky little brat in the real book. <laughs> um but in the movie he's just this wonderful symbol and he kind of is of imagination and creativity and this kind of lifelong childhood dream. And so often when we get old we get so stuck in deadlines and routines and schedules that we let go of that. And so, so many people don't do any sort of creative, creative activity for themselves at all. And I just think that we are, we are wired to be creative. That's part of our existence as humans. That's just who we are. And everybody does it in a different way, but everybody does it. So it's important to create a space for that. And so in Peter Pan, that was Neverland. And so for me, it's the blog that's called Hello Neverland. And then the Etsy shop was named after that, and it just was kind of this natural spin of off of the blog name. So it worked out kind of well.
0: It did. Absolutely. So moving into a a completely different realm then, um, you worked as a copywriter for several years, I'm assuming at an advertising agency? Yes. I
2: have a degree in advertising, actually, um, advertising and public relations. And so I graduated from college with the intent of being this corporate public relations Sex in the city type life, you know, and totally it didn't work out that way. (laughs) Um, And so I worked as a copywriter instead for a small kind of boutique agency here in Nebraska. And it was a lot of fun. um, You got to do something very specific. I wrote, and I wrote everything, but I wrote. And so someone else would do the design, and someone else would do client management, and someone else would do all the kind of background planning or the web work or whatever. So I got to see all of that, but I didn't actually have to do any of that. (laughs) So I got to really hone those writing skills. I got to really focus and that was, it was fun. It was good.
0: Absolutely. Then what made you, I guess you said you started your blog when you got married. Um, What made you want to do all of those other things, the photography and the designing and project managing on your own blog and your own shop and all of those kind of things?
2: It's just fun to have something that is totally your own and you get to make all those Decisions, And now sometimes it's stressful because I can't make the layout look exactly the way I want to or whatever. But then you learn and you figure it out and you come to some kind of compromise. Um, But working as a copywriter, you very much did not own what you were working on. You had constraints from the client that dictated kind of the direction that the creative concept went in. You would write something and send it to a client and they would totally change it and send it back. And you'd go back and forth like 10 times before you finally had this kind of... I want to say a bad word. So this just evolved peace. <laughs> um, we had this, this phrase that we would always call like, don't be afraid to kill your babies. You would come up with all these great ideas and you have this idea and it's your baby and you love it. And it's totally not going to look like that when it finally goes out into the world because everybody has their kind of hands in the pie. And so it gets changed by 10 different people. And mm-hmm. God forbid someone try to design by committee because it's a disaster. <laughs> um so it would just kind of never be your own thing no matter and you would put heart and soul and a lot of work into it but like I said a lot of people were involved so it just wasn't yours and so when you're doing a blog or photography business or your Etsy shop or anything that you are all of those roles you get that control and that can be a lot of fun it can be very liberating um and then you have the chance to learn new things. I am not really a designer but I've learned some design things and I can do some web things and you just teach yourself all these different pieces (laughs) and it's good for your business but it also is going to help you if you're not the one who's going to want to stay home with a kid and you want this corporate career. All those things translate and that's it's good. It's good to teach yourself those things that will then turn around and further your career too.
1: Yeah, that is really wise advice, I think. So when you did make the transition from your copywriting job to staying at home with your little one, um, I'm really interested in if you could walk us through how you decided to make that switch and what steps you took to make the transition easier, because I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to do that and they just don't know how to make the leap. Yeah,
2: Um,
1: it was that was kind of a hard thing and it didn't
2: go at all as we had planned. Um, So I never intended to stay home to begin with. Um, But after Amelia was born, I went back to work, and it was just really hard. Um, You spend this entire day away from your kid, and that's hard. But also that job where people have all of their fingers in your pie takes a lot out of you um, creatively. And so I came home, and I had like two hours with Amelia before she would go to bed, and then I would have zero motivation or energy to do anything Creatively for my own projects, so there's this just total sort of breakdown of everything, and that's hard to deal with. And plus, you're emotional because you're a new mom, and so you just have all this stuff piling on your shoulders. So it was really hard, and I kind of let myself throw a little bit of a pity party. And so sometimes I would just have to shut the door to my office and just cry there in my office, and it was so pathetic and so sad, and just not at all the person that I wanted to be or what I had expected it to be like. Um, so. First, I tried getting a different job. I actually left that job as a copywriter and got a job in just marketing. Um, And that was okay for a while, but it was really kind of isolating because I didn't have that team then that I was working with. It was me. I didn't have my designer and my project manager and all those people that I was constantly talking to also. So that was really hard. And so my husband and I both knew that staying home was kind of the next right step for us. But... We didn't really know how to make it work right away. We knew that um, we had a car payment that we had to get rid of, um, and we wanted to kind of set some extra money aside. So we had this sort of long term plan that we were going to do, which was hard because even knowing, okay, it's going to be a year, you still are like, you're facing down this longest year of your entire life. (laughs) (laughs) But then one day, um, Caleb called me on the phone, and his boss had just given him this huge raise that made all of that go out the window and it was possible right away. And so I bawled in my office again, but this time it was happy. <laughs> um and so it just it just kind of worked out. It was just one of those things where God said, "This is the next right step. You're right. This is what you're supposed to be doing, and here I'm going to help you do it." And so it was just this amazing. Oh, that's
0: amazing.
2: It was great, and I did it. And I felt terrible cuz I'd only been in that job for like 4 months, but it was what we needed to do, and it was the next right step. I say that all the time. Like, you don't – you can't see everything that's in front of you, but you know where what you're supposed to do next, and it's going to lead somewhere that is where you're supposed to be, even if that's not what you think it's supposed to be. So that was the next right step, and God said do it, and here's how you're going to do it, and it worked out really well. So I was nervous as will get out. <laughs> um, it's scary, but, you know, you you – Just kind of have to do it and see what happens and if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to or think it should or in a way that you can handle or whatever, change directions. I mean that's okay too. It's not permanent and that when I figured that out it got a lot easier to just do it. It doesn't have to be permanent. Just because it's a big decision, yes, and it puts your life on a whole other track, it doesn't mean you can't change it again and do something different if you decide that that's not right
1: yeah that is such good advice I think when it comes to anything like career related people feel like oh but if I like switch jobs or if I like start a side business or if I stay home with my kids it's like they feel like that's like this is the rest of my life like I'm never gonna work again or like if I quit this job I won't find a new one and that's just not true (laughs) I know I took a job last summer. I started in July of last
0: summer. And within like a month, six weeks, I just knew it was not for me. I was so stressed out just six weeks in. And really, I just didn't feel comfortable there. And I knew looking forward and kind of looking at other people in the the company and other positions and kind of like that upward trajectory that I would be following, it wasn't something that I wanted. And I had to make the tough decision after just like four months to quit that job and to look for another one. And it was really hard. I know I remember thinking like, what if this is, you know, quote unquote, career suicide and people are like, oh, you left a job after four or five months. We don't want to hire you. You're not reliable or dependable. And I remember it being like such a big deal at that moment. And looking back, it hasn't affected me at all. So it's a really good point to take the next right step. Because then there's always going to be another step after that if you need there to be one. Mm-hmm.
2: I think we get so worked up about, you know, I put in all this work to do this. Or I made this investment in this side project. And Caleb always refers to those things as sunk costs. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. If it's not right, let go of it. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it at that point. It's gone. It's done. You spent that money or you wasted that time or whatever. That's okay. Let it go. Just do the next right thing.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's important to to be willing to admit that it was maybe not the right step or maybe not the right step at that moment. I think we get so caught up in not failing that we're not willing to take the risk to maybe make something better for ourselves.
2: Yeah, exactly. I run into that a lot when I try a new creative project, like something small, I'm trying to quilt right now, and I just, before we did this, took a bunch of pieces that had stripes on them and sewed them all together with the stripes facing the wrong way. And I'm, like, so frustrated about it. But that's just, like, a small little example. But you do things wrong. That's okay. Like, every person has this process sort of of self-discovery. Like, it's what is creative for me is going to look different than what's creative for somebody else. And you have to try all these different things to figure out – what your sort of brand of creativity is and maybe not maybe you know it right away and that's great but most people don't and so you're going to try 10 different things and you think oh this makes me look like a flake because I'm trying all this different stuff and none of it's sticking and I'm not following through you're just figuring out what isn't right for you you're doing the Thomas Edison thing and you're finding the one way that works after you've done a thousand things differently so it's okay to do that too
1: Yeah, I love that you give yourself the freedom to experiment with all those different creative processes. Because sometimes it feels like especially if you're putting your creative stuff out there online, like whether it's through a blog or through a shop or whatever you're doing, if you're putting anything out there on the internet, it feels like there's all this pressure to do things the right way and to build your platform. And then it's like, okay, now this is the thing I do. And this is the thing people know you for. And if you change that, Um, Like you said, like you feel like you're going to look flaky to people and nobody's going to like you anymore. Nobody's going to follow you anymore. And really, like nobody cares about what you're doing as much as you think they do. Yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why I'm really drawn to journal keeping and I keep it kind of separate from the blog. I mean, I talk about it and I show it, but I don't talk about what I'm writing because a lot of the times it's a bunch of brainstorms or troubleshooting or trying new things that I don't necessarily want to share with people. And it's good to have a space to do that or people that you go to in your real life and talk through those things with who they know, you know, you're not you're not being flaky, you're just trying things before you hit publish and tell 10,000 people on the internet what you're doing. <laughs>
0: it's the same. You would go talk to your girlfriends about like a problem you were having with a coworker at work, as opposed to writing it on your blog. I think a lot of people learned that lesson the hard way early on in blogging world. (laughs) I hope they learned it.
1: Yes. (laughs) So now that you have all these creative projects going on and you're staying at home with your little one instead of having a full-time job, did you find that there's a big difference between how you fit creativity into your life now and how you used to fit creativity in after your full-time job?
2: Um Yeah. When you're home all day, you have all this time that you have to fill with something, <laughs> whatever that may be. And now I have a toddler who's constantly following me around and wants attention and help and needs to be taught and loved on and all that good stuff. So it's easier in that there's just more time where no one else is telling me what to do, but it's harder in that you have all these demands on your time that maybe you let slide when you were working. Um, I didn't necessarily come home and do the dishes every day or, you know, clean. Well, I'm home now, so that's kind of part of my job to be here. Um, but also, it's harder because I think that I have all the time in the world, and so it's really easy to procrastinate.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
2: time limits, honestly, are a huge blessing in disguise. It's just like, um, restrictions from a client in copywriting land would actually push you to be more creative. And the same is true when you have less time, you know, you have this time constraint. So you focus in and you dial in and you do what you got to do to get it done. Um, so the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side, either way you look at it, both sides have their pros and cons. So, I have more time, but it's really easy to let myself just kind of run away with that and not necessarily focus. Um, And so it's just – it's a balancing act of finding a way to put those time constraints on myself and focus and not stress out And because I I have time. I can use it. You have to use it wisely.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel that because I work from home while – um, my little one Hadley is napping, and I have childcare one day a week when she goes to visit my mom on Fridays. And so, Monday through Thursday, I get more done in the like two hours that I have each of those days than I do all day long on like my whole Friday that I'm open. <laughs> I'm so much more productive when I'm like she's gonna wake up any minute I have to finish this article or I have to finish this blog post. Like it's incredible what a time limit does for your efficiency. <laughs> yes, yes. That's so true. Well and it's it's funny because if you're trying to come up
2: with an idea Time limits are good, but you also need a longer timeline. So if you work in two-hour spurts and you you brainstorm for two hours and then let it sit for a week, you're going to come up with a lot better idea than if you take a whole day and just get it done. Um, so it's kind of, you have to learn how you work and what works best for you and then kind of manufacture those envirom- that environment or those limits, even if they're not really there.
1: So now that you've got... All these different things going on you've got the blog and the etsy shop and the photography business and the journaling um do you have any sort of process for how you parcel out how to spend that time that you do have um on creativity like do you have like okay this is going to be my photography time or do you kind of just go with whatever feels right at the moment um
2: the latter (laughs) if i have um usually if i have a photography session that needs edited that takes priority over everything because a third party person is paying me to do that and they're waiting for it. Um, so there's, there's somebody else relying on me so that I'll always do that first. And then after that, it's a, it's a combination of paying attention to that ebb and flow and what I'm into at the moment and also what's most urgent. Um, so if I have a deadline, I'm a contributing writer on another website once a month and I always leave that to the last minute <laughs> and so when it comes time to write that article, it gets done first before anything else because it's on deadline. Um if it's working on something personal like jur- a journal entry or something as opposed to spending time with family, that gets a little hairier and I think that a lot of women especially feel guilt if they choose that personal project over family. And it's not that that's always the right choice, but you you have to take that time to invest in yourself too. Um, so it's a personal thing. It's it's hard to make that call, but you have to sometimes choose that thing for yourself. Um, not all the time, but sometimes it's good. You have to nurture, nurture yourself in that way. Um, and at the same time, it's really easy to go that other extreme and always choose that personal thing. I think um, in the world that we live in, We've emphasized very much self-care and sort of me time, and there's that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's very easy to go too far, um, and so we spend all this time caring for ourselves instead of being a little bit more self-sacrificing, and that varies from individual to individual, so I don't want anybody emailing me and telling me I'm so wrong because I, I get it. It changes, <laughs> but but you just have to be really careful when you're doing that balance, and it's constant evaluation, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I know a couple of years ago, my husband and I were doing a lot of activities. Um, We both tend to be very easygoing people and we really like to help people. And we're also both middle children. So we tend naturally to like make sure everyone else is happier than we are. Which it sounds so, like, I don't know, sacrificial and all of that kind of thing. But we tend to swing to that, you know, side of the pendulum where we will do, we'll say yes to anybody, we'll do anything else for anyone else who needs it, but we weren't at all focusing on ourselves, like, at all. We were helping with a youth group and we were, you know, always showing up to help people move and all of those kinds of things, which were wonderful and we loved doing them. But, like, we don't have children yet, and we still, like, there were very, very rarely a Saturday that we just got to spend together, and we were definitely feeling that just in our relationship and as people. I know I am a hardcore introvert, and I was just, like, angry all the time, and I had to kind of, like, just take a step back and quit a couple of commitments, which was really hard for me because I like to be that person who follows through. Um, So just kind of recognizing that we're in a season of life that we need to kind of take advantage of and work on us now so that we don't like have problems later. And that's kind of maybe exaggerated. We didn't have problems. We weren't on the verge of having problems, but just being able to kind of be people and be a couple when we really weren't allowing ourselves to be.
2: Yeah. And I think when you're running a business, especially um, photography is where I see this come out most. It's really easy to swing and be all about the business. Um, For a couple months there, I did nothing on any weekend except shoot Seniors. Saturday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's what I did. And then you spent all week editing. And it is so easy to do Mm -hmm. that because you're like, well, I have that day open and you're going to pay me. And so, great, I need money. But you have to schedule in that time for yourself, too. You you absolutely cannot run on that cycle for too long before you're going to crash and burn and it's going to be not pretty. <laughs> so you have to learn what what about yourself when you need that and what you can really handle. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess then do you have any strategies for kind of recognizing that burnout in yourself and making sure you're taking breaks to avoid like being so burnout that you don't want to do anything creatively for a long time?
2: Um, you know, I'm really not good at – at scheduling that ahead of time, um, it usually only happens when I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this for another second. Um, and so that's that's a, a place where I still need to kind of grow. But I heard someone recently say, um, like, don't wait until you get to that point. Schedule breaks before you need them, and just make sure that they're in the cycle. So um, making it kind of part of your routine, and that I think that's good advice. If you recharge regularly before you hit that rock bottom place, then it's you're never going to hit the rock bottom place. Um, I'm not there yet, though. Still learning that one.
0: <laughs> I think we all are. And I think especially I, w- I would wager that we're all probably in our mid to late 20s and Um, I think if you're an ambitious young woman in today's world, like you are a little worried that if you're not doing, 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 you're going to be left behind either by what you see on the internet or at your job or even in your family. And I think it's just really, really hard to like let yourself just stop and just be for a little while.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is this huge fear that like everybody's gonna pass you by and you're gonna miss your chance to do something or to do the thing that you were meant to do. And if you wait until even until you're 30 or 35, you're not gonna be able to write anymore or something ridiculous like that, where it's like obviously you'll still be able to write. Like you're not missing anything. Mm -hmm. Like it's just how we think of things now. We've just got this whole like, grab life by the horns kind of mentality and it's hard to just take a break and like read a book and look out the window (laughs) and those are so important you said something about what
2: you're meant to do and I think that that's almost part of the problem like we think that there's this one thing we're meant to do with our life and if we don't do it now we miss our shot but I think there's something you're meant to do in this season of life and that's going to change every every time you enter a new season you're meant to do something else And maybe there's a consistent thread there. You know, if you're starting business or whatever, that's great. But don't be so afraid to miss that one thing because you won't. If you're really meant to do it, you can do it at any point.
1: Yes, that is so true. I think it just like it slips into our vocabulary and into our vernacular because it seems like there are books written about like doing your thing and everybody's blogging about doing your thing. And I think it all comes from a good place where we're just trying to encourage and inspire each other. But you don't realize how dangerous it can be and how it can lead to burnout or to people feeling inadequate if they don't think that they have that thing or they're not doing something that they're supposed to be doing or they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. It's a lot of pressure for people. Oh, yeah.
2: But everybody's different and everybody's project in life and et cetera is going to look different. And I think we just kind of lose sight of that sometimes.
0: And I think we've we've kind of glorified that idea of young entrepreneurship as well. Like all of these people who are doing like startup companies from their dorm rooms and who are making these, you know, 30 <laughs> under 30 lists and all of that. And we just, we expect, you know, genius to come so early in life. And yet you read stories over and over again. I was just listening to um, an interview earlier this week of a novelist who's writing their first novel and releasing it in their 50s. And I think so often we think like, oh, life is over after you, you know, reach 35 or you have children or whatever other arbitrary deadline we've set for ourselves. And it's not. I mean, you keep living until you're done living.
2: Yeah, I just read an article recently that they called them like the young creative yuppie or something like that is the new, the new hipster, like everybody wants to be young hip entrepreneur and (laughs) that's great that it's so you know supported but it's not for everybody like it's just it's so funny yeah
1: Yeah, every now and then I want to get like defensive about being a creative entrepreneur because I'm like I've wanted to freelance since I was like 12 years old I'm like please don't think I'm just (laughs) jumping on the bandwagon like this has been my dream yeah
0: (laughs) well and then you get a little worried too that you're just going to be kind of lost in the sea of all of these freelancers and that is a little bit stress inducing so i don't know it's it's hard life is hard i don't think we uh, acknowledge that as often as we ought but that's funny young creative yuppies is that
2: i think that's what it said i know the word yuppie was used
1: <laughs> i feel like i've read this article at some point we're going to we're going to find it and look it up and throw it in the show notes so that we can all enjoy it <laughs>
0: Is that where everybody has their, you know, signature moleskin color? And uh... yep,
2: yep. Everybody has their moleskin notebook and their Etsy shop.
1: You know, their signature mug with their their mm. latte sitting next to their keyboard that they can take a picture of <laughs> from above. Oh God, yes, yes. <laughs> I totally
0: might be one of these people. <laughs>
1: I think we all are, like
2: everybody, I really want to do this, but I can't, sometimes I wonder, like, do I really want to do this because this is what I really want, or because this is what's trendy and what's cool, and so it's just learning processes.
1: So speaking of there being a whole sea of creative people out there and kind of trying to work to make yourself stand out, do you face any difficulty, like, comparing yourself to other creatives online, like other photographers or other bloggers, or of like feeling the pressure to constantly be putting out more blog posts or more work so that you can stand out
2: uh yeah <laughs> plain and simple yes <laughs> um and it's with everything that's the thing like there's not one activity that I feel really confident about and I think that's for everybody you know with photography I have my favorite photographers that I follow and I'm like oh I wish I could do that and with bloggers it's it's just the same across the board it's in every aspect and I think, it's, I think it's really important when I hit that, I look back at what I've been doing then and seeing how that has improved. And so that makes me feel good about myself. And you, you're you always going to improve and there's always going to be somebody out there who is doing something that you see as better than what you're doing. Um, and it's not it's not a bad thing to run after that and to try and grow and improve, but it's a bad thing to let that kind of consume you. Um, and it's so easy to do. But if you kind of keep your eyes on your own paper and look at, you know, this is how far I've come in the last six months, the last year or whatever, that's a really good way to, I think, approach that.
1: Yeah, I love that point of view and that perspective on it. It really helps to just focus on what your own life is working towards. Like, what are you doing with your skills and talents or what new things are you trying um, that are adding creativity to your life or that are just bringing joy to you just things that you enjoy doing even if they're not necessarily going somewhere gaining you followers or making you money
2: yeah well and you don't know too when you see that blogger photographer or entrepreneur or whatever and you see what they're doing on the internet you don't know what the rest of their life looks like the rest of their life could totally be falling apart and they just aren't talking about that. Like, <laughs> You have to not get so worked up about it because you don't know anybody's whole picture except for your own.
0: Yeah, I find that while I'm still working full time, I'm often thinking like, oh, well, if I didn't have a job, I could do that too. And over and over again, I try to remind myself that that is like not the attitude to have Like, yes, if I didn't have to work on a Tuesday while the light is glorious and it's filtering through the fog, like, I too could hop on my bicycle, which I don't own, and drive (laughs) out to the countryside and take photos like this Instagrammer is. But the reality is, is I do have a full-time job and I have to be at my desk at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays. And so I need to, like, just figure out a way that I can make that work for me. And for me, too, that's, like, getting up early to write blogs or, you know, blocking off a Saturday to go spend outside shooting or just any of those kinds of things, like reserving a little bit of time for myself so that when it comes time to go sit at my desk at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, I'm not quite as resentful as I maybe otherwise could be.
1: I don't think I had any other questions. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about, Abby, before we head to the book club? Um, I don't think so. Is there anything glaringly
0: obvious that we missed, Kenzie? Oh, I don't think so. So did, did you compile any books at all that had a big impact on your creative life, Kenzie?
2: Um, no, actually. <laughs> I thought we were just going to talk about what we were reading now, which is funny.
0: Okay, so what are you reading right now? Um, I'm actually reading a
2: cookbook which is really funny because I hate cooking. Um, <laughs> I just, I never learned how to do it, and I, it, I don't have fun with it. But um, I recently got the opportunity to <laughs> review this book, and it's called The Homemade Kitchen by, um, I'm going to butcher her name, Alana Chernila or Chernila, I'm not sure. Um, but it's her second book, and it's it's totally different than any other you know, like, I have, like, the Betty Crocker and Better Homes and Gardens cookbooks. And it's not that at all. So you think cookbook and that's what you think. That's It's nothing like that at all. Um, but it's really inspiring because the way she she writes, she has, like, these essays, kind of, on these different topics. And so it's organized by topic instead of by, like, type of food. So um, that doesn't make sense, but I'll um, – like, in the contents, it starts out with, you know, be a beginner and um, – go ahead and feed yourself, put your hands in the earth. So there's these these different themes regarding food instead of like chicken okay. and desserts and whatever. And so she talks about these things okay. and, and we're talking about gardening and not being afraid of food and stuff like that. <laughs> and so I really, as a total like cooking novice, I appreciate that approach. And then when you get to the recipes, it's kind of the same. So she'll have like a like, quiche was one. And so she says, you know, this is what quiche is, and then here's all these different ways that you can change it up and make it kind of your own. And so I really appreciate that kind of introduction to cooking. Like, I don't know what a quiche is. I've, I've never, have I ever eaten a quiche? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I could do it, you know, because she's making, like, here's your basic quiche recipe, and then here's 10 different alternatives. And I just, it makes me not afraid of food makes me want to get into the kitchen and try something so that's a good a good recommendation I think read that book
1: Uh, that
0: sounds (laughs) awesome awesome and it's called the the homemade kitchen the homemade Homemade kitchen
2: Kitchen. yeah and she has another book called the homemade pantry um I don't know anything about that one but I think it would be like making condiments and kind of pantry staples instead of just meals so I'll probably be looking at that one next this is I, I find it so weird. Like if someone tells me that they're reading a cookbook, I'd be like, "What?" But I'm reading a cookbook,
0: and it's a good thing. <laughs> it's like saying I'm reading the encyclopedia. Like, why would you do that? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. My husband, when he when he uh, I told him I was going to review that book, he's like,
1: "What do you mean? Like, how are you <laughs> going to
2: review it? That what is there to read?"
1: was <laughs> <It's> like. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I just finished reading um, An Everlasting Meal by Tamar Adler, which is kind of a similar idea, I think. She has, like, all these essays about um, different types of food and, like, cooking food, so she has, like, a chapter on boiling water and, like, cooking pasta and that kind of thing, and I'm like, I like cooking, I'm just not very good at it, like, I'm one of those people who totally needs to follow the recipe or it'll turn out disastrous, So it was really a good read for someone who's like, I'd like to be more creative with my food. And this is like a good jumping off point because before I've been like terrified to be creative with my food because then it won't be edible.
2: And it's funny. I'm going to read a piece. You can totally edit this out if you don't want to. But this, this is kind of just the like the sentiment that's in here that I really like. She says, when I create what I want to eat, the simple task becomes the seed that empowers me to live the life I want and to create that too. And when I cook and eat in a way that reflects how I want to live, it means I have the opportunity three or more times a day to make decisions that help me live that life. And I just think that's so beautiful. Like, okay, if cooking is going to make me this like superhero, then yeah, awesome. And it's obviously not that way. But <laughs> just that idea is so, so freeing and so empower- empowering. And I love it.
0: That is really cool. It sounds like a book I would absolutely love. Um, did you guys, either one of you read Shauna Nyquist's, um, bread and wine from a
1: few years ago? I've had it on my Kindle for like five months. <laughs> really? Yeah. I just haven't read it yet.
2: <laughs> I read part of it. Yeah. I read part of it. I have, I have the book. Um, and I read some of it and it, that didn't connect with me. I don't know why everybody loves it, but I just, I wasn't feeling it.
0: Yeah, she has a very specific way of writing, I think. But that is an example of one of those books that like found me exactly when I needed it. And it was when I was going through that just busy season of life where I was just, you know, tearing my hair out because I couldn't get everything done that was on my to do list. And that book just kind of met me where I was and told me that like, taking a break is okay. And it's another one of those that's uh, kind of memoir kind of cookbook kind of just life around the table esque. So that was that was my cookbook slash memoir experience.
1: Yeah, those books that find you right when you need them are the best. They're almost magical. Like you're in the middle of it and you're like, yes, this was it. <laughs> yeah. When you're tempted to like
0: underline every single sentence, you know you're reading the right book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any other good reads you guys want to share at the moment?
1: I'm still reading the same book mm-hmm. I was reading when we did our first episode. so <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's completely acceptable. Um, I just started reading Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find oh, Them yes. in preparation for the movie coming up, which I was really sad to learn is not Wait, they're out. making a movie? They yeah. are. They're making a movie, and it stars Eddie Redmayne, who I'm so excited to see um as Newt Scamander but it doesn't come out until like next November they just released the trailer and now I'm really sad
1: that is such a long time to wait like I'm so excited about that movie that sounds awesome I had no idea that I'm so excited now
0: yep they just I think released the trailer yesterday or the day before so definitely go google that as soon as we get off this call Kenzie you're missing out (laughs) I'm on it I am on it Well, cool. I suppose that is our little mini book club for episode number two here. Um, Otherwise, I think that is it. Thank you so much for joining us, Kenzie. We've loved having you as our first guest on the Chasing Creative podcast. Thanks for dropping by to share some of your creativity tips. And we're excited to follow along and see where this next year takes you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, do you want to tell people real quick um, where they... Where people can find you online like twitter instagram your blog your etsy shop you know (laughs) sure um you can get
2: to everything from the blog and that's just helloneverland.com super easy and then it'll link to all those things from there
0: yeah excellent and we will put links to um all of those things kenzie just mentioned in the show notes as well so don't worry about having to write it down right now
1: well yeah thanks again for coming on thank you for joining us kenzie Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by ChasingCreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you leave us a review on iTunes. You can also join in the creative conversation by tweeting to us at Abigail E. Krebs or at Brooks Editorial or by using the hashtag ChasingCreative on Twitter and Instagram.
1: If there's a guest you'd love to hear from on the podcast, or if you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at ChasingCreativePodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for
0: listening. Until next week, go chase your creative.